1: Election College, Episode 98, The Life and Times of Henry Clay. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason
0: Goff and Ben Smith.
1: Ben, if you're going to run for president and you don't win, you got to try,
0: try, 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 try again. And one more try just for good measure, because nobody gives up if they want to be president. That's right.
1: As such was the case with Henry Clay. If you're from Kentucky, like me, Henry Clay is pretty much, well, the guy couldn't do anything wrong because he's from Kentucky. But there are a lot of different facets of his life. And uh, that's what this episode is all about. So let's get into
0: it. All right. So Henry Clay was born in April of 1777. And, uh, you know, he just missed the whole bringing the new country into existence thing happening. And uh, he was born in Virginia, so he's a little bit of a Southerner. And he's born to a family that's not exactly poor, but they're also not rich. They're kind of middle-ish class, uh, maybe a little upper middle class even. But certainly still humble family, but, you know, pure blood English, got slaves, you know, typical Virginian.
1: Yeah. So Henry was the seventh of nine children. That is the seventh with his biological dad, the Reverend John Clay, and his mom, Elizabeth. So, his dad was a Baptist minister, and when Henry was four years old, his dad passes away.
0: Yeah. So, Henry and his brothers each get two slaves that his father left them, which is kind of a an interesting, but I probably, uh, time period relevant... <laughs> thing to hand down to your, to your children. And he left his wife, a bunch of slaves, 18 to be precise, and a bunch of land. It's interesting because Henry Clay was surrounded by people who were abolitionists pretty much his whole life, including his own cousin. Yeah.
1: You'll recognize the name, Cassius Marcellus Clay, Cassius Clay. He moved to Kentucky and did his thing. He was a leading abolitionist. And then one thing about Henry's home life growing up, his mom soon married Captain Henry Watkins, and he was a good stepfather to Henry and the rest of his siblings. Uh, Henry moved the family to Richmond and get this, Ben, his mom has seven more
0: kids. So she had 16 kids. That's a lot of kids. No matter who you are, it's a lot of kids. And I don't get the feeling that a lot of them were like quadruplets or anything. So, you yeah. know,
1: no yeah. octomom or I mean, that'd be <laughs> octomom times two. It's
0: crazy. I, I think so. Henry's stepfather actually got Henry Clay a job in the office of the Virginia court. And Henry Clay soon learned, "Hey, I this law thing. I kind of like it." And so he ends up going to college and, you know, getting the law degree and everything that you need to do. And he gets admitted to the bar to practice law in 1797, and starts his legal career by moving to Lexington, Kentucky.
1: Yeah. So he marries Lucretia. We've talked about her before. Uh, very attractive. A couple. <laughs> <And> <laughs> in uh, 1799. That's when they moved to Lexington. And her brother, this is notable, was Nathaniel G.S. Hart. And he was a captain during the War of 1812. And he was killed during um, one of the massacres, the massacre of the River Raisin. So by 1812,
0: which we're jumping ahead a little bit here, I know, um, Henry Clay, you know, he's a, he's a good lawyer. He's known for being able to speak well in the courtroom. Uh, his clients are like, Hey, you know, you're so good, uh, but I don't have any money. So here's a horse and here's an acre <laughs> of land and stuff like that. Uh, so by 1812, Henry Clay is doing all right for himself just because of his career and, you know, a little bit because of his upbringing and he's got a 600 acre plantation. He calls it Ashland and he's got about 60 different slaves at the top of kind of the peak you know yeah and
1: get this he and his wife have 11 kids so man you have to have some money for that
0: well i don't know if you did back then you got all your kids you have them all at home you make them all work at home you feed them from home that's i don't true. even know if i don't even know if you need money that's true We all so, know, sure. <laughs>
1: living on love buying on time
0: <laughs> without somebody
1: oh man i'm I'm quitting country lyrics, Ben. This is not Yeah, I know.
0: Hey, Jason, so they may have had 11 children, uh, but actually seven of the children died before Henry Clay. Uh, His daughters all died from like crazy stuff that happened. Uh, A couple of them died when they were younger, but some of them died from whooping cough and yellow fever. One died from uh, complications from childbirth. So, you know, he might have had a lot of kids, but at this time in history, not a lot of them lived. Yeah. So they're doing the deal on
1: their plantation in Ashland, and he's got slaves, like Ben said, and they're growing tobacco and hemp, uh, which were really two of the chief commodity crops in the bluegrass region of Kentucky. And Ben, it's kind of interesting about the growing of hemp in that era. You don't hear of people growing hemp, nowadays because, well, the whole marijuana issue. Uh But back in that time, and I heard this on the Stuff You Should Know podcast dealing with pot. And they were talking about how in that era, you were required, if you had a farm, you were required in Virginia, at least, to have a certain percentage of your crop be hemp. So- Wow hemp and in recent that. years yeah and in recent years, here in Kentucky, which I'm broadcasting from the Bluegrass region of Kentucky, believe it or not, uh they are trying to legalize the growing of hemp. It's very useful,
0: yeah, does a lot of stuff that is not including getting people high, yeah, Henry so that Clay, has to do with Henry Clay because Henry Clay liked to get high, obviously,
1: <laughs> and you would think. He was high because one of his clients, when he was an attorney, was Aaron Burr. Oh, man. That guy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 1806, uh, the district attorney, Joseph Hamilton Davies, indicted Burr because he was planning an expedition into the Spanish territory west of the Mississippi River. We've alluded to that a little bit in previous episodes. So Clay and his law partner, John Allen, defend Burr. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, why would you ever do such a horrible thing? But Thomas Jefferson convinced Clay later on that Davies had been right in charging Aaron Burr. And Clay was really upset with Burr and they later met. And you know what happened? Clay said, I'm not going to shake your hand because you're a jerk. Your name is Aaron Burr and I don't like you anymore.
0: He's lucky Burr didn't just shoot him (laughs) like in the hip or something. Mm, That rascal. All right. So in 1803, Henry Clay decides I'm going to start my, my, uh, you know, career into politics. I don't know if that's really how he decided it or not, but, the only problem is he's not old enough to be elected. But nonetheless, he gets appointed to be the representative from Fayette County in the Kentucky General Assembly. And it wasn't until later that they were like, hey, wait a minute, you were not old enough. What are you, what are you doing? And I don't, I don't even know if Henry Clay knew he wasn't old enough at the time. He may not have even thought about it. Hey, they picked me. Well, I'm going to go. At any rate, he was kind of liberal in his interpretations of, well, pretty much everything. Uh, The state constitution, he was a little bit liberal on. He uh, was kind of liberal on the gradual emancipation of slavery. And that happened for a while, but then he kind of morphed back into a uh, little more conservative guy.
1: Yeah. So Clay is becoming very influential in Kentucky politics. And in 1806, the state legislature elected him to the Senate seat that was being vacated by Senator John Breckinridge. Breckinridge resigned because he became the attorney general for the U.S. And it's kind of funny because the legislature was like, Hey, John Adair, you should come and complete Breckinridge's term. But Adair was involved in The Burr conspiracy. So that rascal Burr (laughs) actually helped Henry Clay become a senator in 1806.
0: Yeah. And again, Clay is below the required age and nobody notices. Clay doesn't say anything. His term ends and he's still not 30 years old. And so like there's only been a couple other people that have been like this. We talked about John Eaton a while back and he was one of them as well. But ever since then, ever since good old Henry Clay, nobody else has gotten away with it. And probably nobody else ever will, I'm quite certain.
1: Turn a blind eye, Henry Clay. Turn a blind eye. (laughs) So I never realized this in the research for that 30-year-old requirement for the Senate, that Joe Biden was actually elected as a 29-year-old as a senator. But by the time he was sworn in, he was 30. Can you imagine being 29 years old and being
0: elected as a senator? Um, I mean, kind of, but I, I'm not 29 years old yet. So it's hard for me to imagine being 29 years old in six You're months, so let young. alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my youth, my youth enrages you, I can tell.
1: I could call you the senator. You can be the senator and... uh I can be the colonel because, hey, I'm a Kentucky colonel. There you go. So, all right, Senator Ben. Yeah. So, Clay, he comes back to Kentucky because he is finished being in the Senate (laughs) for the first time because he's so young. And in 1807, he gets elected as the Speaker of the House of Representatives for Kentucky.
0: Yeah, and he actually introduces this resolution to the members that, Hey members, you know, I'm tired of this imported British broadcloth you're wearing. I think we should all be wearing homespun suits. And a couple guys were like, nah, most everybody else was like, all right, cool. That's fine. But one of those guys, one of those guys was Humphrey Marshall. And he and Henry Clay are not great friends. It started back in the trial for Aaron Burr. And Uh, Henry Clay actually described him as an aristocratic lawyer who possessed a sarcastic tongue, which I think is most lawyers, isn't it?
1: Um, except the ones who listen to election college.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I met most lawyers in the 1800s.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: Anytime I watch a movie with one, they're always like kind of uppity and also really sarcastic. Yeah. So that must be the way they were. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, and I mean, you've got Aaron Burr in the mix with all of these guys at the time. So, it's got people acting a little funny. And in January, actually the day after Clay introduces this resolution, this whole homespun suit resolution, Clay and Marshall are just about to beat each other up on the assembly floor. And like any good early... 19th century politician, what are you going to do? You're going to challenge your opponent to a duel. And by the time January 19th rolls around, they don't want to kill the other person in the state of Kentucky because that would just be rude. They go across the Ohio River into Indiana and they shoot each other or they shoot at each other three times. And Clay grazes Marshall once uh, below the chest and Marshall hits Clay in the thigh and they're both like, ouch, that hurt. <laughs>
0: you shot me, but they both survive. So does that mean Marshall wins or they both lose because they both got hit? I, I mean, I think you both lose. Well, yeah, but I mean, like one guy got hit in the thigh and the other one just got like a glance off of him. So,
1: yeah. Hey, you know what? Another what <laughs> another little Kentucky tidbit here uh-huh. if you are elected to an office in the state of Kentucky, when you're getting sworn in, you have to say that you have not and will not participate in a duel
0: <laughs> oh man, like to this day would be a hard one for me. you have to say yeah. that i I couldn't honestly say I will never participate in a duel, you know, you never know, you never know what could happen in life. I mean, uh, I, I, I you could
1: take a nerf gun and say, here you go, but I don't think I that's what they mean.
0: Hey, later on, summer of 1811 rolls around, a year after the duel and or a couple years after the duel, and Henry Clay is actually elected to the House of Representatives and he gets chosen as the speaker of the house his first day, which that doesn't ever happen. And it never has, and probably never will again, but uh, he was well enough respected that he was kind of thrust into it. And then five times after that, he gets elected to the same thing again.
1: Yeah. It's pretty crazy because Henry Clay is a Senator twice and not elected as Senator. And then After serving in state politics and getting everybody angry, not everybody, but getting his opponents angry with him, enough to shoot him, he goes to the House. I I wonder how many people, and maybe we can do an episode on this someday, I wonder how many people have been a senator, and then they go into the House of Representatives. It seems like that might be a little bit of a demotion. Yeah, I
0: guess you could say that. It's possible.
1: But I mean when you're speaker of the house in this era that's a pretty important seat to have because unlike today where the vice president is seen as the second in command the speaker of the house was very influential and seen as kind of the second the second in charge in washington
0: Well, and Clay did everything in his power to make that abundantly clear to everyone. Uh, (laughs) It (laughs) used to be a bit more of a, you know, oh, he's a mediator and and they enforce the rules. And Henry Clay is like, okay, so I'm already in some power. I'm going to make this the best power I could possibly be in because I have a feeling I'll never be president. So (laughs) I'm going to appoint members of the Warhawk faction to all these committees that are important here and basically they're going to get control of the house and they're the people I picked out. And that makes me even more powerful than before.
1: Yeah. And during this time, Clay is strongly opposed to the creation of a national bank. And this wasn't anything more than, well, he had several small banks <laughs> that he had some ownership in, uh, over in Lexington, Kentucky. So, Later on, he's like, I hate Andrew Jackson, so I'm going to change my position. <laughs> and uh, and by the time he runs against, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but by the time he runs against Andy Jack, he's like, hey, I love you, Second Bank. Yeah, why not? I don't, I don't see why not. So, Ben, who are these Warhawks?
0: Well, let me tell you, Jason. The Warhawks basically thought that Great Britain, we don't like them let's go to war against them again. And they wanted to do this because of the, uh, we talked a long time ago about impressment and things like that, where they would basically kidnap the sailors and make them work on the British ships for them instead. So the British were doing this and the Warhawks are like, uh, let's go to war. Why not? And Henry Clay is like, yeah, uh, I pretty much am in charge here now. And, uh, we're going to war against them if I want to. But they didn't
1: right, yeah, so Clay goes to Europe and he plays the part of a negotiator and helps negotiate peace with the Treaty of Ghent, and everybody signs this treaty in eighteen fourteen, and he's still over there, and he's like, "What else can I negotiate?" And he <laughs> negotiates a commerce treaty with Great Britain, the great enemy. The great enemy.
0: Hey, uh, coming up in 1816, we got the Tariff of 1816, and it's part of this big plan that Henry Clay has called the American System. And basically, this kind of goes way back to Alexander Hamilton's idea of the American School. And essentially, you know, they want to help uh, small American manufacturing companies. They want to um be able to compete with british manufacturing and basically in order to do this they got to create tariffs taxes and everybody loves taxes so why not do it you know it makes perfect yeah. sense of course so henry clay was all about
1: supporting these independence movements that were going on in latin america cuz after 1817 and especially in the 1820s the United States is all about recognizing new countries that were getting their independence from Spain and Portugal and France and Great Britain. And so in 1826, all these new countries in South America and Latin America were like, hey, United States, come be a part of our Columbia conference. And when it comes time for the american delegation to arrive they don't show up <laughs> but clay clay was very much supportive of these breakaway countries and and decolonization and clay even supports greek independence because they were once a part of the ottoman empire it's a little out of our scope here but clay was like hey greece you should be your own country And um, why not?
0: Henry Clay also had a little bit to do with the Missouri Compromise, which we talked about that, oh, I don't know, 60 episodes ago or so. So moving forward just a little bit to the election of 1824, we've got four different candidates from the major parties, and that includes Adams, Jackson, Crawford, and Clay, and this is the one that got kind of insane where nobody got the majority for the electoral college so the top 3 get picked and guess where henry clay is that's right number 4 uh, he got the
1: participation ribbon
0: not even cuz things go south for him uh, yeah <laughs> so he he finishes fourth
1: so jackson adams And Crawford, they're, you know, standing on the platform. They're playing the national anthem and everybody's cheering for them. And Clay, Clay's like, well, I'm still speaker of the house,
0: right? (laughs)
1: I've got some influence. So I'm going to throw my support behind Adams.
0: Right. And when he does so, Adams gets the win and he thinks like, okay, well, if I uh if I vote for Adams who is a little bit more sympathetic to the things I believe maybe I'll get a cabinet position. Yeah. And he does. He gets the Secretary of State position. Woohoo! Congratulations.
1: Well played, sir. So as the Secretary of State, Clay is like, "Hey family, hey slaves, let's take up residence over here in Washington on Lafayette Square." Uh, Let's go back home to Kentucky and his slave Charlotte Dupuis sues Clay for her freedom and for her two kids because a previous owner of her was like, I'm going to set you free. And this challenge, this legal challenge that she brought precedes the Dred Scott decision by 27 years she loses the case and her attorney is like, Hey, um, I got this court order here that will allow you to remain in Washington, DC. And she ends up working for about a year and a half for our friend, Martin Van Buren.
0: Marty. Yeah. So we mentioned a couple times that Henry Clay pretty much just hates Andrew Jackson. Well, maybe not just Andrew Jackson, but definitely Andrew Jackson's policies and, you know, you've got the National Republicans who were like, oh, actually, our name is the Whigs now, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, or was that just last week, man? Time time flies. It's the last episode, By, uh, man. <laughs> okay, give me a break. It was like five days ago. It was my bad. Uh, the, uh, they start turning into the Whigs a little bit and they start calling Andrew Jackson King Andrew. We talked about this many times. Hopefully, you've listened to some other episodes Essentially, though, well, the Whig Party starts to come about and they're still known as the National Republicans for now, though. Yeah, this was really a personal
1: hatred because if, uh, again, I'm, I'm podcasting here from, from Kentucky, so I got a little, little info for you. Uh, Clay wants this road to be built. It's called the Maysville Road. And if you look at the geography of where Lexington is, Lexington doesn't have a huge river running right through it. There's the Kentucky River that's kind of windy and goes west, but the Maysville Road would link Lexington to the Ohio River. And Jackson is like, "Um, I'm not going to use any federal funds to help with this because it's only within one state, so it might seem like ah, this isn't that big of a deal. But this was a huge deal because Clay, Clay's hometown, stands to gain a great deal out of this, and Andy Jack is holding the man back.
0: So in 1832, the National Republicans are like, "Hey, Henry Clay, you're our dude," and uh, the Democrats are like, "Hmm, who should we pick? Oh, how about the president, Andrew Jackson?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're just going to stick with him for now. And essentially, Andrew Jackson doesn't want to continue the second bank of the United States. Henry Clay doesn't either, but he decides he should think he does because he doesn't like Andrew Jackson. And Henry Clay loses 55% to 37%. Ouch. Yeah. So that's 1832 for you.
1: Yeah. And by the time 1840 rolls around... Clay is like, hey, I'm a wig and I want to be the nominee. But at the convention, William Henry Harrison shows up and he steals the show because he's a war hero. He's good looking and he isn't as polarizing as Henry Clay. Um, We know how that went. (laughs)
0: and then 1844 rolls around. We've got whole episodes on each of these elections, so go back and listen to those. But in 1844, Clay gets nominated by the Whigs again, of course, because he basically is the Whigs, and uh, (laughs) goes up against James K. Polk. And guess what? Polk is the name you recognize as a president, not Henry Clay, because Polk won by 170 to 105 electoral votes. So poor Henry Clay loses again.
1: Yeah. And then in 1848, he loses the Whig Party nomination because Zachary Ooh. Taylor wins it. So Clay is like, I'm just going to go back to Ashland and um, retire,
0: but not for long. So, yeah, he doesn't go there for long because he gets elected again for the U.S. Senate to go to Kentucky in 1849 And, you know, during this term is kind of when all the all the big explosion over the expansion of slavery happens. If you know your history, which hopefully you do a little bit, 1849, not getting too terribly long before the Civil War. And we've got the Mexican-American War, all sorts of stuff's happening. And Henry Clay is involved in a lot of it. And he comes up, well, he and some other people with the Compromise of 1850 which I think like episode 22 of Election College. So go back and listen to that one. It's like mostly about the the compromise of 1850. That'll be a good one for you.
1: Yeah. So there is a lot to say about the compromise of 1850, but we do have that episode. So listen to it. But what you do need to know is that he's using these negotiation skills. He's using um, just that ability that he has to... Uh, try to find common ground between opposing sides. So uh, just one little tidbit about the Compromise of 1850. Uh, How would you like to have this compliment? Um, Henry Foote, who was a senator from Mississippi, he said that had there been one such man in the Congress of the United States as Henry Clay in 1860, there would, I feel sure, have been no civil war.
0: So, wow. Wow. Pretty high praise, so Henry Clay pretty much continues to serve and he serves the United States he serves kentucky and on june twenty ninth of eighteen fifty two in washington d c at the age of seventy five he dies from tuberculosis and he's buried in Lexington cemetery and uh, his vice presidential candidate in eighteen forty four which no one knows his name because he didn't win either, gives the eulogy,
1: yeah. And Clay's headstone reads, I know no north, no south, no east, no west. So a little bit of a mixed legacy because he did keep slaves while he was alive. Now, when he passes away, his will states that all the slaves that he
0: had would be freed. His property at Ashland gets given to his children And uh, they take a little bit of each and then they sell it off. And then they let the University of Kentucky and Transylvania University use it until later on they kind of remodel stuff and turn it into a museum. And you can go and see it today and, uh, you know, see where Henry Clay lived.
1: Yeah, it's there. Big signs along the road. Come to Ashland. It's not Ashland, Kentucky, by the way. Ashland, Kentucky in the Ashland estate are two different things. So as you're, as you're pulling out your random McNally Atlas, (laughs) know know that those are two very separate things.
0: Hey, did you know that Henry Clay introduced the Mitt julep to Washington DC? Yeah. I, I did not know that. I didn't either. I just read that right now. It's pretty interesting. I don't know why it's noted in his, uh, all this information about him, but there it is. Right there. Mint Julep, part of his legacy. Drink up. Hey, if you're in the mood to drink up, you can get some drinking cups on uh, Amazon.com, which we uh, happen to be affiliated with. If you go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon and just shop as you regularly would, you can help us out because we'll get a little cut of that uh, that purchase that you make. Yeah. And while you're out there
1: on the internet, hop over to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. That 90 seconds that it takes to do that not only helps us out, but it will help more awesome people just like you get their ears on what I think is one of the best podcasts
0: around. I wouldn't disagree. Hey, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for going to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and saying hey to us. Thanks for telling a friend that you talk to face to face or, you know, text to text or whatever. And uh, we appreciate those of you who have done that this week. And we'll be happy to see you next time.